Hi. Hello. I'm Katie. I'm Emily. This is the Soundhouse Podcast, and it's been a long time. I think I feel like we say that every time we record. It's been a long time since the last episode, and it has been. It's been eight years. <laughs> Life gets in the way, you know? We're coming back at it with an uh, album by Hollow Notes. It's called Abandoned Luncheonette. You may or may not have heard of it. It was released November 3rd, 1973, so. It's not actually on the list of uh, acclaimed albums. It's just, we thought we'd talk about it because we think it should be. Yeah, it's uh, our bonus podcast. Well, hopefully we'll be doing this more often, (laughs) as we say, but with these bonus ones, because there's so much music that exists, we want to get to the stuff that we're interested in at the moment or that we stumble upon, so this one's kind of... An extra. <laughs> yeah, an extra. Yeah, um, I had a brain fart. On acclaimmusic.net, um, one of the albums that was bubbling under the all-time top 3,000 was Private Eyes, which didn't come out until 1981. Mm. But it's funny to think that um, Hollow Notes were around... I mean, I think they met in like the early 70s because their first album came out, I think it's got to be like 1971 or something. Well, they knew each other before, um, before that time because they went to school together. I think they they met in high school or something. Did they? Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought they they were in different bands and then things like weren't working out in their individual bands, so they kind of joined forces. But it's funny because uh, Daryl Hall was kind of the R and B singer, like songwriter, and then John Oates was more like the folky kind of guy, and that mm-hmm. kind of comes out on this record. You can tell like which songs, like not just because John sings the ones that he wrote, but just because they're so different from Daryl's. And <laughs> Daryl Hall is like famously humble. I think it was like in the nine or not the nineties, but in the eighties, like when they were really, really big, um, in some interview. Daryl basically said that he was 90% of Hollow Notes and John was 10% because he kind of be- became the face of Hollow Notes. Mm-hmm. That uh, article was called The Self Righteous Brothers, you know, a play on the Righteous Brothers. Oh, group. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I read that article and it was, it was funny to me because I knew, I mean, they were pop stars. They became huge in the pop world and their egos were massive, but I did not know Daryl Hall was that. such a dick. Yeah, he was kind of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> He does have Lyme disease, though, so you gotta cut him some slack. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's true. And he is massively talented. He, uh, his mother was a vocal teacher, vocal coach, so you can kind of understand why he was so good, and he could do so many things with his voice. Yeah, his, his voice is amazing, but on this album, like, it's not so bad on this album, but later on as well like some sometimes when he does runs i'm like is that really necessary yeah that's true he could just do it look what i can do um but yeah so abandoned luncheonette it's not on the uh the list of best albums but we love it and it's it's not even a guilty pleasure i'm i'm fine with admitting that i like hollow notes but (laughs) it's kind of embarrassing because Sometimes, uh, like on Spotify, after I'm done listening to Hollow Notes, the Spotify radio will come on, and so it will be like Steely Dan <laughs> and the Righteous Brothers and like other like dad rock kind of bands that I really don't enjoy listening to. But I mean, I guess I can understand why they're why they're on there, like why they're on the Hollow Notes Spotify radio. But um, <laughs> it, it's funny. But, but I just wonder if if. Hollow Notes is like actually 
considered dad rock because we saw them in like 2013, so several years ago now. And there were quite a few young people there, which I thought was cool because I just figured, you know, because they were from... Their Haiti was in the 80s, so I just figured there'd be a lot of like middle-aged people there. And there were, but most of them were women. They, so they were. I just, <laughs> yeah. That Very intoxicated middle-aged women. Yeah, with her much older husband. She Maybe she didn't know who all notes were. I don't know. Yeah, she was just like, she just wanted to have a good time. She we was, were in the nosebleed section, by the way. And I mean, it was I was kind of depressed when I saw them, to be honest. Because remember, <laughs> our brother came with us. And our friend, so it was Katie and I and them. And we were in the nosebleed section, and I was like... We came in right when they were doing Out of Touch, which was, at the time, that was my favorite song. Oh, yeah. Because of the Vice City game, which we'll get into. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, oh, my God, this is my favorite song. But it was almost over, and he didn't even reach the high note in that song, and I was like, oh, so disappointed. Yeah. I mean, he still he sounds pretty good for his yeah, age. Yeah, it was an experience, and they still had their... I'm not sure if he passed away. Maybe I'm getting confused with um, Bruce Springsteen's um, saxophonist or horn player, but he was with them. Like, I forget his name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's an amazing... He does some amazing solos as well on um, Abandoned Luncheonette. Yeah, they actually had a lot of um, studio musicians come in. Like, they... Hollow Notes are the main um, songwriters, obviously, but they had some, like, veteran... Uh, session musicians come in so I think that's why the album kind of even though it's not cohesive sounding because it's all over the place like genre wise Mm -hmm. it sounds really good when it's all put together there's so so many people involved yeah Um, and it's it was their second record um, with Atlantic and their first album Whole Oats it was like more folk based but it didn't do well like commercially it's it's weird because they Atlantic kind of gave them like free range in the studio so I think that's why they felt okay with experimenting like the way they did like putting all these genres together mm-hmm. it's I kind mean, of sad that that was kind of squeezed out of them they kind of were happy with where they went pop wise but at a certain point it just, they just hit a wall yeah I think they were trying to find their sound like when they first started and obviously folk wasn't what people were looking for in the early 70s. I mean, I guess not their type of folk anyway. But um, they grew up both... Uh, I keep wanting to say Daryl Oates and John Hall. <laughs> no, that's not right. Yeah, um, Hall and Oates. Uh, they grew up in sort of like the Philadelphia um, like soul R&B scene. And that was like the driving force behind a lot of their music. But also on this record, there's funk, there's like folk and rock, and it's like a, I think it's a good fusion, but it's they couldn't pigeonhole them. That was the problem. Yeah, but I mean, it, it was it's also a little bit confusing because you're like, okay, well, what are these guys really good at? They're kind of doing like they're jack of all trades kind of thing. But obviously, um, their first single off the album I think was "She's Gone," and it wasn't it wasn't popular when the album first came out. They re-released it several years later and it went on the charts and was a big hit and everything. But that's kind of the direction that they went in, I think, because they were still, even by their third album, War Babies, they didn't know like what they were doing because War Babies is more like rock-based. And again, it did really poorly. So, so they, were, they were just trying to find something that worked. And when She's Gone finally worked for them, they're like, okay, this is the kind of the formula that we want to use. But, I mean, it was still the 70s. They didn't have, like, it wasn't super slick and polished and, like, synthesized. 
like it was in the 80s because that didn't come till later. But yeah, it's interesting that they tried all these different things. And in my opinion, I think this is their best album. Yeah, I think in their opinion as well, like they're stated as saying in interviews, like we're really proud of Abandoned Luncheonette. I mean, in other albums, but it's number one. And I think it was 29 years after it was released. It was certified platinum by the uh, association, Recording Industry Association. Yeah, so it didn't. It took thirty years to sell a million copies, which I mean, that's still a fee, that's still you know pretty good, but mm-hmm. that's a long time, especially when they had like massive hits and like later on in the eighties. So um, this was the first album they recorded outside of like their hometown, Philadelphia. So they recorded in New York. I can't remember what the the studio was, but it was famous for you know, having Bob Dylan and, like, Aretha Franklin come in and out, so they were surrounded kind of by what they were going after, which was, like, super (laughs) fame. (laughs) Before we move on on the topic of folk, they did have an album. I couldn't find the year that it was released, but I own it. I think it was either Mom or Dad's, or I found it at a thrift shop, but it's called Past Times Behind, and it's basically a Hall & Oates folk album. And some of the songs from it, I, it must have been early 70s, like maybe between Abandoned Luncheonette and something else, but it didn't do well. It's not even on Spotify. I can barely find the information about it online, but it's a really good album. Yeah, and it's not like under their name Hall and Oates. It's under their full names. Yeah, John, yeah. like John Oates and Daryl Hall or Daryl yeah. Hall and John Oates. Yeah. I thought I'd mention that because in case anyone likes folk and likes hollow notes you could look it up there are probably some songs online yeah it's drastically different from their hits in the 80s which i do like i mean they're fun it's hard to it's like a love-hate relationship with hollow notes for a lot of people unless you kind of like grew up really liking like top 40 in the 80s for young people it's sort of like a, a guilty pleasure but yeah <laughs> i think we were both introduced to hollow notes the same way Oh, yeah. Um, GTA Vice City. <laughs> yeah. The game. I mean, I probably should not have been exposed to certain video games from my brothers <laughs> when I was 11 or so, but I really like to play it. I just like to get in the cars as, like, the characters, not run people over, but follow the rules of the street and listen to the 80s radio that came on because they had Michael Jackson, Hollow Notes, um... That song, come, 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 <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, Boy George. Boy George, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they had a good soundtrack. Yeah, and I remember my brother downloaded it, and he would listen to it when he wasn't playing the game, and just, it was, it was cool. Like, I just liked it a lot. And that was probably my first exposure to Hollow Notes. So the first uh, song in the album um, is When the Morning Comes, and it's, super folky like as soon as you turn it on you're like almost immediately transported to philadelphia 1972 <laughs> it's it's kind of dated like the whole album just like i think hollow notes in general are a little bit dated just well yeah they're old <laughs> no no i know but there's some music that really holds up like even the other albums that, that are on this list they kind of still sound fresh yeah or they're they're, like, still used for commercials or whatever. Like, the Beatles are pretty much timeless. Radiohead. I, like, songs from OK Computer are still being used in TV shows that are being produced, like, this year. So, And then with Hollow Notes, it's always, like, a throwback. <laughs> like, it always sounds kind of a little bit cheesy, a little bit dated. I mean, less so on their earlier albums because they 
you know, weren't their 80s hits or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's still, like, early synthesizer. There's, uh, you know, they had Moog synthesizers. They had a Mellotron. The saxophone. Yeah. And saxophones can sound really cool. They can. Mm-hmm. But in in some instances, like on this record, I don't think they sound very cool. I personally love <laughs> cheesy saxophone. I mean, how can you not? She know. likes Wham, so... I love Wham. She, she loves George ashamed. Michael. I'm not ashamed. Rest in peace, George Michael. Yeah. Um, the songwriting on this album was evenly divided between John and Daryl, and some parts were co-written, so... I thought it was nice that it was even, equal. Yeah. Um, Daryl Hall's um, other songwriting partner, who is his real-life partner... <clears throat> Sarah Allen. Yeah, Sarah Allen. They hadn't met by this point, but um, I think John actually knew her. Like, he bumped into her, and, and she was, at the time, uh, an heir... She was a stewardess, basically. I that's what they were called back in the day. And uh, they got to talking on the streets of Philadelphia or New York or wherever, and she mentioned that she was on a Las Vegas turnaround, which was basically... Um, or she'd just gotten back from one, which was, you know, you take a bunch of gamblers to Las Vegas, then you'd come back, come right back. And uh, they just thought it was an interesting... They're like, hmm, I've never heard that, so, like, that name before. I've never heard anything called that Las before. Las Vegas, turn around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really like that song. Sarah, please! <laughs> Sarah, please! I can't do it. Um, but yeah, so that was before they were dating or anything, but it's funny that she was she kind of made her way in there and i think sarah's smile which is also on this um record mm-hmm. was written about sarah but it was before they had started dating because daryl hall's girlfriend at the time was like an art student or something and she mm-hmm. took the picture of the cover of the rose hill diner which was the abandoned luncheonette that's on the album cover oh i didn't know that and sarah's sister i don't know how to pronounce her name jana jenna she, um, they were really close, and all four of them were really close, John and Daryl and them. And I think, obviously, Sarah a bit more than Jenna. She influenced their songwriting, but together, I don't think, like, they would have been a hit if it weren't for these sisters. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, I'm glad they... It's, like, just fate, I guess. Certain people meet other people, and it works. Do we want to talk about their ego still? I think that's a pretty good point. <laughs> uh, in that article, The Self-Righteous Brothers, I found it funny because I forgot the guy who wrote it, but I always, that's like a main thing. There's this thing, okay, someone's talking outside. <laughs> Hello? Shut the fuck up. I say like, oh, there's this really cool thing someone said, but I forget who said it. So don't fact check me on anything. But in the article about their egos, it said business can easily overwhelm art and it was so true like in the mid 80s to late 80s that was when their careers kind of nosedived and it wasn't about what was good or what they wanted it was just about what made it to the charts and I think that's how Holland Oates kind of got the cheese label on them right yeah later so I mean it's, it's kind of sad to me because coming back to the album it was experimental for them it's not like Beatles level experimental but mm-hmm. I mean even like the the title track of Beatles Luncheonette like it has movements like it has different parts it's beautiful yeah it's probably my favorite Hollow Note song 
just like the storyline and the way it sounds and yeah it's for sure one of my favorite ones but uh there are some tracks on here that I really do not like and unfortunately <laughs> John wrote them <laughs> yeah I don't know I it seems to be a pattern that I'm like ooh, I don't really like this song like either on this album or another one I actually have not not listened to out like all of Hollow Notes albums um but most of them I have and I'm like oh John wrote this one, or mo- wrote most of it. Yeah, no offense to John. I mean, like, I do like, like, I like folkier music, and sometimes Daryl Hall's, like, I mean, he's not wannabe Blue-Eyed Soul. He is Blue-Eyed Soul, but mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I think he can pull off certain things better. There's also something about John Oates' voice. Like, I know they liked R&B groups and were inspired by the whole Philly scene, but John Oates' voice reminds me of a certain quality that Smokey Robinson's voice had. And it, like, kind of gets this, like, frogginess. And I will probably imitate it at some point in this podcast because it's hilarious. I like to imitate it. I mean, they both have great voices, but it's just the strangeness. <laughs> yeah, the second track, Had I Known You Better Then. I mean, it's it's a cute sentiment, but I it's a track that I always skip because... I don't really care for it that much. Yeah, and it's like it's too it's too sweet. wordy too. I mean, so is a band in Lunchnet because like I said, a band in Lunchnet. Yeah, it's but it's but it's a story. Yeah, that's a story. But the other one, it is too cutesy. Yeah. Uh, and the third track, Las Vegas Turnaround, is yeah about Sarah Allen, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But before she um, had like a big part to play, and you know it's a fun like track i mean there's funk on this album for sure oh yeah yeah um i can't what's the song there's one of the one of the tracks on here has an electric violin solo it's there's also the end the worst track on this entire album in the history of ever is i'm just a kid don't make me feel like a man first of all the title is horrible <laughs> it was written by john Oates. yeah it was um like, I don't get the premise to the story. Like, is it about... He wants to get with a young woman, but, yeah. like, he doesn't feel like he's a it, Because he's a rock star? Like, is it kind of about, you know, groupie culture? Like, I don't... Like, any way you look at it, it's creepy. And, like, people will say, like, oh, it was a different time then, which is true, but I still don't like this song. <laughs> yeah, in the live versions I did find, though, I didn't know what he was saying. Like, he says the actual line, I'm just a kid, don't make me feel like a man. And then he says... And I know that's what you need, yeah. So I'm like, okay, he's admitting that he, he, like you're not good enough for whoever this woman character is. But I just don't like it. It kind of sounds like pedophilic to me. Yeah, it's any any grown man who like refers to like to a woman as a or any female as a little girl, and they're not a little girl. I it's immediately off putting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it sounds stalkerish, and it's not my cup of tea. It's Goodbye. creepy. A band luncheonette is good. <laughs> we can, I can recite every lyric to that song. Same. I really wanted them to play it when we saw them. Like, I wasn't... I, I didn't think they would, because it was kind of like when we saw them. It was, they would only really play the hits. But they did play two... They played Sarah Smile and She's Gone, which yeah, are both from this record. Big. Yeah, they're big songs. And Ivan Lynchonette is kind of like it is a big song, but it's, it's like so their Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, um I think Daryl 
Hall said about the song and the album that it could have been called Abandoned Lives just because the way that the story plays out, um, like it's about people who kind of gave up and just wound up where, you know, where they started from basically. And it's not where they want to be. And, uh, yeah, it's, so it's kind of depressing, but it also, it's very realistic, but it kind of turns it into something not just relatable, but there's still beauty in it. Like just the, the imagery of the song I think is really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, but I, again, like, Daryl Hall is such a humble person. He talks about, like, <laughs> only the strong are able to get up and, you know, change their circumstances and the weak stay where they are. Kind is of that thing. what he said in an interview? Yeah. Oh, geez. Basically, something like that. And I was like... Uh-huh. I'll just take this little gem of a song and have my own meaning. I will not listen to anything that you have to say. Yeah. Yeah, in that, I keep thinking about that article. I was, like, blown away when I read about how... You found out how much of a dick Daryl Yeah, I just, I didn't think that he would be like that. Well, he's a massive, massive, like, superstar. Like, they, they were huge, and their, you know, their hits were everywhere. And, I mean, they're still everywhere. I think one thing that really got me was how, I think in this, that same article about their egos and stuff. I'll shut up about it after... But he said that, oh, like, in the 80s, like, this was him quoted later in the 90s or early 2000s, John and I, we were, like, the Beatles of the 80s or something yeah. really terrible. Oh, like my that. God. I was like, really, man? I don't, you, okay, they followed, they found a formula that they probably found working on this album when they wrote She's Gone, and then it was a hit years later. They f- used that formula, which was, like, you know, like, pop rock like r&b like fusion and it worked and they just kept doing it over and over and over again because they're all their 80s hits like yeah they're like fun and upbeat and catchy and stuff but they're not groundbreaking they're not yeah they were not at beatles level i think they have talent like them but not you can't compare those things at all i know i'm just a little bit dick (laughs) anyway uh but yeah it's the the cover is um it's kind of cool. It was uh, it was a diner that um, was like down the street from where Daryl Hall grew up. Hmm. Um, I don't think the diner was like actually functioning when he was a kid, but like the person who owned the piece of land that it was on, they like sold it to developers who you know put a McDonald's there or something, and so they dragged the actual diner into you know up the street from where Daryl Hall Daryl Hall's grandma. I think it was used to live, and so it's it was abandoned and it kind of just sat there to spur his imagination, I guess. Yeah, I well, it's it became famous like that little landmark. Like Paul and Oates fans would go there and take and pictures. It's still and still there? No, it's they actually like burned it all down to clear Aww. yeah the land. But yeah, it's an interesting little. Tidbit. It's been yeah. immortalized then. That's I like that. I love stories that are attached to different songs and pieces of art like mm-hmm. that. Because then it kind of, like, it lives on beyond what you know of it. Yeah. And to get the actual pictures, Daryl Hall and John and Daryl's girlfriend, they went and she was snapping pictures. And I think they broke in to get inside because the back of the album is them sitting in the diner, right? So, yeah, it's kind of cool, but... We've done we've done like urban exploration before. Yeah, mild. Yeah, <laughs> like like I've gone with you guys like once because Katie was really scared. I mean, I was really scared. I have anxiety. 
We both have anxiety. It's, <laughs> <fine>. it's okay. <laughs> I can't deal like I don't have a death wish. I don't. I don't want to go into abandoned buildings. I mean, they look cool from the outside, but I have no interest in going inside. I kind of didn't want to do it either, but we had a friend that had no fear that day. <laughs> Should we mention the song "Falling"? Falling, falling. <laughs> there was a song called Falling, and it's from Hollow Notes' fifth album, Bigger Than the Both of Us. And this was only two years after Abandoned Luncheonette, but there's a live version of this song the same year. Um, not as Abandoned Luncheonette. What was it? 1976, I think. So the same year as the album that it was from. And this song, if you look it up on YouTube, Falling, the live version is amazing like I his voice is amazing it's like, it's like 12 prog. minutes long yeah yeah it's maybe like eight or nine minutes which is still a long time but this was on live television in the mid 70s and this is like prog rock that's kind of cool it was amazing I yeah. had stumbled upon it because I I think I also have bigger than the both of us on vinyl I used to listen to a lot more records just random ones that I'd find well we have record player now so yeah, I know. But oh, one for Christmas. Did I tell the story about Abandoned Luncheonette? I found this record in, it's like a hawk shop, and I got it for like a dollar, and I got it because of the cover, because I thought it looked cool. And did, like our dad also had a version of it, but I had never seen it. And I played it, and I was like, oh, I love Hollow Notes. I didn't know about their like other stuff. I knew yeah. they did Out of Touch and all this other things, but yeah, that was how I found out about this. That was 2011. And then we saw them in 2013. Yeah. So, yeah. That's the story. Nice. <laughs> I should have mentioned that at the beginning, but... That's uh, fine. Maybe we'll be famous for having those disorganized podcasts on Facebook. We're just talking, it's fine. Yeah, this is how we normally, like, just chat, you know? So, hopefully it feels like we're in the same room with you. And hopefully that's not creepy. Hi. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> it's just turning into weird <laughs> ASMR. <laughs> I don't have long nails. Do you have any crunchy to eat? <laughs> oh. I almost put my... Careful, don't hold it over the mixer. <laughs> okay, that's been our ASMR moment of the day. Thank you. Dude, we can't get sponsored. Back to regu- regularly scheduled programming, if I can speak. <laughs> Lady Rain is after a band like Lady Jeanette, Rain. And it's like pure funk. Lay your sobbing head down on my shoulder. Lay it down. <laughs> um, uh, I'll just get more and more obnoxious as the time goes on. It's okay. And the next one is what? Laughing Boy. Laughing Boy. Guitar John is playing the blues solo. I think it's on this song that um, I love this song. There's some really good. Uh, it's not. It's not actually a harmony. It's like, um, I think John and Daryl are singing, an octave or two apart. So it's not like harmonizing. But I'm like, hey, that's how I sing because like I don't know how to harmonize. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's a yeah. moment of like slight dissonance. Yeah. And it took me a while. Like I, I love to sing with this album. That's like a big thing for me. I don't know. But I like would listen to it. I'm like, oh, I want to sing whatever they're doing, and I didn't understand because it was dissonant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's. I mean, their their melody, their harmonies are always really. 
Amazing. good together. Yeah. yeah, because John has like a really deep voice and Daryl has a really high voice. So kind, kind of, of froggy. John's a bit froggy. And then Daryl <laughs> is uh, a, a bit, choir boy. Yeah, there's a story behind Laughing Boy, I think. Well, it's like not an official story, but I was reading a lot about it because I think this is one of my favorite songs off the album. And people said that Daryl Hall wrote this as one of this like ever this as a very sad song to kind of lift himself up out of a depression because Aww. he had just like broken up. I think it was with his girlfriend, the art student, like they were engaged or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this song is really good because it it's one of the only Hall Notes songs that deals with loneliness as its subject. Yeah, which is when you think of hollow notes like oh poppy dancing and girls and whatever private eyes happening in the eighties, kiss on my list or whatever. I forget the melody for that right now. Kiss on my list. What? How does it go? Kiss is on my list or something. Oh, no, that's private eyes. See, they're all down the same. Eighties does okay. Oh, that was weird. Wait, wait, was there something else? Oh, okay. I forget the name. <laughs> I forget me all the time. Um, was it Robin Pecknold who said that um, he posts music stuff all the time and he really likes one of, or probably some of Daryl Hall's solo albums. And I think coming back to the idea of loneliness with Laughing Boy, it kind of ties into Daryl Hall's artistry like by himself more because I feel like that's a very Daryl Hall song. It's very separate. Yeah, and that's kind of that's what he does on his own. So if you ever want to listen to Daryl Hall's solo stuff, that's Laughing Boy is a taste of that. Yeah, I've never. Um, I think it's called Sacred Songs. That's the album that Robin Pecknold oh, okay. mentioned. Yeah, because I've never, I I've never bothered to listen. I'm. I mean, they both have solo careers, but I never bothered to listen. I usually do. So do Tears for Fears. Isn't that weird? Really? Yeah, we were actually gonna do like a two part like. They're not related, but I mean, they're both sort of 80s groups. Yeah, and they're so. not. The The album that we wanted to do isn't on the list, so we were just like, oh, we'll just throw in these little extras. I mean, we could still do an, do an episode on. That would be really long, though. I mean, we'd split it up, yeah. Yeah. And Daryl Hall's solo albums, too. There's a line in um, Laughing Boy about laughter, like your laughter's a lie type of thing, and the exact same theme is in his solo album, so I feel like that's just... It's very personal to him, that type of writing. Well, he thinks he does it all by himself, even though he's part of a team, so... He probably thinks that, like, God speaks to him in his sleep or something. (laughs) I, Daryl Hall, (laughs) am the greatest vocalist ever. (laughs) The last song is Every Time I Look at You. Every time I look at you, can't believe what you did to me. Had me think that you were something something in disguise. Something, yeah. something, 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 I don't want to say this album's a mess, but I mean, it's all over the place. I it mean, really is. In Laughing Boy, there's a flugelhorn solo at the end. You know that? that uh, I mean, it's pretty, but you're just like, it's a, is that a flugelhorn? Yeah. 
It sounds, it, you're, you're literally transported to the 70s when you listen to this album. And I, okay. obviously we weren't alive then, but I, I'm there. I'm there, Daryl Hall. <laughs> Watching you. <laughs> no. There's also mentioned that the song Laughing Boy was written around the time Daryl was with his first wife, blah, blah, blah. I already said that. Um, uh, I think um, that's, I think I'm, we're good. Yeah, but we didn't even go fully track by track. We don't need to. We do, honestly, it'll be like really shitty talk radio. <laughs> That's I I'm honestly not because it feels it. it's more comfortable that way, and then it doesn't feel like we're missing something. And even if we forget something, it's not that big a deal because it's better to hear someone's conversation like Natural occur naturally happen. Yeah, because then it act, you feel like you're listening and you're not. I mean, scripted shows are fine, but. It, I wouldn't want it to be scripted. I just have, like, weird anxiety about forgetting something that I think would be interesting, but maybe yeah. it's not even interesting at all. I'm just a neurotic. Well, that's <laughs> why if it is super interesting and you think it's good enough to include in the conversation, it'll come up naturally. But what if it doesn't? <laughs> so, actually, we should just leave all this in and see, show how awful we are. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I've never taken an improv class, so I don't fucking know anything. <laughs> I know absolutely nothing about anything. I just like to read shit. Okay, uh, you, you may not even hear this. <laughs> I'm really tired, okay? I'm sweating. <laughs> it's not even hot in here. I know. <laughs> We're leaving Allison. No, <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, I'm so tired, okay. Um, baby, it's goodbye. That's how I'm gonna end it. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm just looking at the on Wikipedia. <laughs> that's and that's a podcast. No, it's not. You gotta give us a little more credit, okay? Well, I don't have much of a. Okay, I'm just gonna quickly go track by track. When the morning comes, it's a bop. It's good. Had I known you better than when? Las Vegas turnaround. That's a good song. She's gone, iconic. It's good. Uh, I'm just a kid, don't make me feel like a man. Skip. That song doesn't exist to me. Abandoned <laughs> um, <laughs> Internet is the holy grail of this album. Lady Rain. Lady Rain. Yeah, it's good. Oh, they have a mandolin in that album. Oh, yeah. Like in the live version, it's like ding, 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 ding. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I showed my dad that song and he dug it, so. Laughing Boy, we talked about that, blah, blah, blah. Every time I look at you. Yeah. Epic. I don't know why I thought this album was longer, but it says it's only like half an hour and a little bit. So, time flies and have fun. Hollow Notes, Abandoned Luncheonette, <clears throat> Sunhouse <laughs> Podcast, Forever. That's the only we're not doing the Anthony Fantano. Damn it. Anthony Fantano gave Jessica Pratt's album a 6 out of 10, and I don't like that. <laughs> He's canceled. He's canceled. Baby. <clears throat> can I fucking I was going to say, baby, it's goodbye, and you interrupted okay. me. <clears throat> baby, it's goodbye. That's it. That's Hollow Notes of Anne Lynchonette, and we love it. You should listen to it. Even if you're not a Hollow Notes fan, it's different enough from their 80s stuff that I think most people would find something that they liked. Yeah, especially musician-type people. Like, There's some interesting bits in there. So, Thanks for listening. See ya. <laughs>